0: Welcome to episode 243 of the Crate and Crowbar. We're recording us on the 20th of June. I'm Tom Francis and with me are... Tom Xenia. And...
1: Philip Hello. Hi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have uh, many small bits of news, no big news. Um, small bits of news, uh, the one I want to talk about. Uh, I've written down here devil pages. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> because uh, what's actually happened is that uh, Steam have... Uh, Introduced the ability for developers to have a page uh, where they just list their games and stuff. Um, and that's not very interesting. But the useful new feature is that you can now follow developers. So if there's a developer you like, you follow them and then you get told when their games come out. And when I tried to write that in my notes, it auto corrected to devil pages.
1: <laughs> it's concerning that you, a professional developer, have not yet managed to teach your phone that you might want to be saying, developer
0: yeah I have a pixel (laughs) and it doesn't learn anything ever it never adapts no matter (laughs) how many times I use a word it will not ever learn it so uh, devil forever
1: (laughs) that's why we know the
2: singularity is not going to happen because this thing's an idiot
1: (laughs) (laughs) my phone refuses to accept that I am more often trying to use it's without the apostrophe Mm. than I am with and it's just it's a constant battle between my phone trying to make me look stupid and everything else,
0: <laughs> this uh, I have to say the autocorrect on this uh, is kind of cool in that um, it's very context aware and so it will like correct. I, I type no words correctly. I, all of them are just garbled and it just figures out what I mean, <laughs> which is good. Um, but it'll do things like it'll correct um, a word like I've written "id" it might correct it to "is" and then when I write the next word it'll realize, oh no, you probably meant it. <gasps> it and it'll back go back and crests. changes it. Yeah. Oh nice. It's cool.
1: Oh. Mine doesn't <laughs> do that at all. Mine's just a hateful jerk it, like it, it can't even figure out you know if you so if you get the first letter wrong it's stumped oh yeah it has absolutely no idea even if the rest of the word is spelled absolutely faithfully mm. and it might have a really good shot if it just used its brain that maybe <laughs> you meant dinosaur instead of binus or something
0: <laughs> what you mean binoculars
2: <laughs> so Tom as devil uh, how, what do you uh, think developer. about double pages?
0: <laughs> uh, I am very pleased they've introduced this. I've been asking for this for ages. Uh, not the pages so much as just the ability to follow a developer. I just want it to be like, if a load of people like my last game, I want a load of people to hear about my next game, which previously was not possible. <laughs>
3: um,
0: and I don't know, it sounds incredibly rudimentary and basic, and they should have had it for ages. But at the same time, uh, it's sort of like... Um, comparing it to social networks, really, rather than comparing it to, like, Amazon. You can't do this on Amazon, as far as I know. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's a shop, and uh, it's good that it has this. Um, They have done it in a slightly... It's in beta, I should say, so all the problems with it are uh, partially to be expected.
1: Isn't all of Steam in beta, constantly? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, They've done it in a slightly weird way, uh, which feels kind of designed for Valve to use or for, like, Ubisoft to use, (laughs) because you can't your page uh, you have these little slots you can feature things in one of the things you could do in a slot is show your top sellers in order or um, uh, all your games tagged with a certain word Um, but uh, so Valve have done it you can also feature a list of games and Valve done it where they, they feature a list of all their single player games and a list of all their multiplayer games uh i have four games (laughs) so (laughs) having separate lists for them doesn't really make any sense if i put them all on one list then that's just one slot they're all there and they're tiny and you can't really see anything Hmm. so what i've ended up doing is i've made four lists (laughs) one list is a list of heat signature which contains heat signature and nothing else the next slot is used for a list that just contains morph blade and nothing else the next slot contains floating point and nothing else um and that basically works and it looks good but it, it does mean there are four lists and each one has like view the full list next to it and you can do that and you'll just find <laughs> that there's nothing else on it um and they also i was uh obviously this is a new number i can look at on the internet obsessively um to see if it goes up mm-hmm. and um uh, get excited when it does go up and then get envious when other people have a higher number than me um and so i was looking at everyone else's pages also to see how they laid it out um and they're all pretty similar numbers because they all launched that day, except Supergiant, who had like 2,000 followers immediately. Hmm. And I thought that's weird because I was in on the... like that It was possible to make these pages before it went live. In fact, mine was just like a... Uh, I got invited to like this sort of private beater of it and I was just messing around with what these things are. And I made like, oh, here's my top sellers, but it hasn't loaded them all in. So it's just like a DLC and one other game. And then here's my latest games and that that's also broken and i just had like three broken modules and then i woke up and checked the news and it had gone live <laughs> so that was just public now <laughs> like, oh shit so i made my steam developer page uh in a frantic uh sleep fog state naked <laughs> in the early hours of yesterday <laughs> like, Shit! This like it's possible that the data went live was told to me at some point i just didn't internalize it um <laughs> But anyway, uh, Supergiant had loads of followers, um, and uh, I was curious about this. Like I just wanted to know, did they push it somewhere? Did they do something uh, clever to um, get people to, to follow them? Um, but it turns out, no, it's because they were already a curator. And I am personally, but you can also make your developer a cur- curator. Oh, so okay. as a developer of games, you can also sort of recommend things. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing that for a while. That's cool um which is cool and now they've got a head start on this which is nice but <laughs> you have to ask yourself like why is the developer page unified with the curator system at all um and in particular when you uh like their page they have these featured slots and then below that it just lists all your games for them the top game is neo that dark souls like yeah. that they did not make <laughs> but they recommended it and so yeah. that's like top of the list of the of the games underneath like
1: it feels like it makes sense if so (laughs) it's it's a weird mishmash of things so from what you said about the way the lists are organized that feels like it's been set up for bigger companies with lots of games to their name but then the integration with the curator side of things feels like it's then on that side been set up for very small even one person studios where that where they think that people will be interested in that studio's taste Mm. like you'll like the games that they are making but also the games that they are consuming (laughs) so it feels like it's in this really weird mid-ground between is this for big or small yeah and it's definitely not for middle
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's weird by giving it such prominence on the developer page they've actually discourage me from doing it like I quite like the idea that suspicious developments um would have favorite games you know and like Into the Breach would be on there obviously and it'd be sort of like both things I like but also probably fellow indies mostly
1: you are wearing Um, an Into the Breach (laughs) t-shirt right now yeah (laughs)
0: um I was gonna say I'm on brand I'm not not on brand it's not my game
1: but you've given up your main advertising slot on your body (laughs) prime carousel My torso. Yeah, as you slowly revolve and the rest of the <laughs> carousel think, is revealed. Is there something on the back? On
3: the back? <laughs> uh,
0: nothing. Okay. It's a mysterious. Well, <laughs> um, that empty advertising space for sale now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now I don't want to use that system because it will take up valuable space on my own developer page where I kind of want to point everyone at my games. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a slightly weird implementation, but it's good that it exists. And I expect they'll iron that stuff out. Uh, we saw another Steam thing um, about loot boxes, didn't we? That yeah, they've had some trouble with the uh, with Dutch law.
1: I am super not speaking in any formal capacity, <laughs> having skim read Joe's news story on PC Gamer for this about three hours ago, and then again just beforehand. Um, but it sounds like um, a Dutch body of some kind has been investigating loot boxes and how they relate to dutch gambling laws and has deemed some games to be falling foul of some rules or legislation and but it it feels like the situation is super unclear based on um the valve announcement which has appeared on some people's steam news pop-up you know when you log in um and it essentially seemed to amount to them saying yeah we don't really know what's going on but we've been served some kind of legal threat and we're looking into it <laughs> Podcast, <please." laughs>
0: yeah this is um uh they've been told that the Uh, They've been warned that the loot boxes in uh, CSGO and Dota 2 are illegal under Dutch law. Um, And they have said, no, they aren't. (laughs) (laughs) And Dutch law has said, yeah, they are. And so Valve said, well, we're a Dutch lawyer. And they talked to a Dutch lawyer and they still don't understand why it's illegal. Um, But the deadline for them doing something about it was June the 20th. And so on June the 19th, they put out an announcement saying, well, look, the only clarity we can find is that somewhere in this it says your loot boxes are uh, disallowed if it's possible to transfer the items you get from them.
3: Mm. And
0: if you can't transfer them, then it's fine. And I don't know why that's the threshold or why that's why it's worse to be able to transfer them than not. But anyway... I guess um, like you get secondary markets from selling yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, but is that... That seems but almost unrelated yeah. to the gambling yeah. part. I know what you mean. Oh, no, yeah. I suppose I suppose if you can transfer it, then the thing has monetary value, even if, you know... Yeah, if you can move it to someone else and they can... Yeah, can therefore it. it's gambling because what you could it gain has from a it monetary value, could yeah. be...
1: But, like, surely if you what enter you an actual lottery and then give someone the money that you get, I mean, that, that's probably not a useful example that will hold up to any sort of <laughs> scrutiny or be in any way analogous to what's going on here.
0: Well, presumably, they, don't, they also don't allow private lotteries i mean I don't know if they have like a government bet. one but that's, that's probably yeah. gambling law as well but anyway valves um <laughs> you
1: see it lasted all of three seconds
0: <laughs> <laughs> valve uh, have latched onto this and, and said sorry dutch customers you can't transfer anything you get in the loot box which is um and they say sorry I think it means we'll try and like figure this out and um get them to understand that this isn't uh, this shouldn't be a problem um to be honest it doesn't seem actually that severe <laughs> like transferring things that you get from loot box i suppose it depends how deeply you you are into this. Um, I know that Chris has, has sold a lot of Dota items, you're saying?
1: It depends, because sometimes people do sell that stuff on the marketplace, obviously. But I remember um, a, a few internationals ago, there were a bunch of item drops, and I just gave them to some friends, because hmm. it was, you know, they weren't things I was bothered about. And they weren't four characters that I particularly played, hmm. but they were cool items. So I just distributed them around. And so. then they
2: gave you a manila envelope in a dark <laughs> alley behind the police station.
1: <laughs> but I can imagine everybody suddenly making the, that case like, oh, I was only going to share them with my friends. I can't believe that this has been taken away from me, this this desire to just do good and spread out my earnings <laughs> and my winnings. Rather.
3: <laughs> it's just... Are mm.
2: well, you still free to see that here, apparently?
0: Yeah. Huh i don't really know whose side i'm on in this <laughs> really? i mean i like i know i actually really been that comfortable with how valve do this stuff it does no. seem like <laughs> I, don't, I don't care whether it's legally gambling or not but it does seem like it preys on um people who are susceptible to being addicted to these things um
1: the yeah. so
0: i'm just thinking of the only system i knew well was tf2s because that was the only one of their multiplayer games i already got into um and it was just like, there are crates and you find the crates, but then you have to buy the keys to open them and you don't know what you'll get. You might get something incredibly valuable. You might get something worthless. Um, and that was never appealing to me, but I've heard since from so many people who just found that irresistibly addictive and spent way more than they could afford on it. And I think if I was Valve, uh, I wouldn't care whether it's legal or even if it is legal the main thing i would be asking myself is are we exploiting anyone and the answer i think is yes like you're not exploiting most people i'm sure loads of people are perfectly able to respond to that healthily but if you're exploiting some people you should just stop you should do something else
1: but it also makes a ridiculous amount of money (laughs) yeah i think is that my so with dota specifically i can't speak to tf2 because i don't play it but um with dota they did actually rejig the loot box system a bit so with treasure chests um you had it it used to be that you had a selection of items that could be in the treasure chest when you opened it and then um it, it was any you know obviously there were odds of particular things but um you could definitely get a squillion duplicates. if you got really unlucky um but then they did rejig it slightly so that the you might never get one of the super rare items but you would always get one of the you know the lower tier items and those would cycle through all of them you know you at first you would get one i think purely at random i guess but then you would get any of the remaining ones and then any of the remaining ones from that. So you would have... You would get the full set before you got duplicates in that side of it. Right, And then the the super rare stuff was as an extra layer. You would get one as well. You know, there was a chance I to see. get one of those as well as the other things. So that felt... It felt slightly less of a problem, but it's you know being slightly less of a problem, still a problem <laughs> yeah. um, and I also think that i something one of the elements that I really dislike about valve's approach to most things as a as a company, not as a set of individuals, is the tendency to essentially go if it's not you know to sort of sit back and throw their hands up or absolve you know just not take any form of responsibility and just sit away from it and assume Mm. that it will just sort itself out or you know at the very most they might put a graph out and you're like okay (laughs) so and i'm not being particularly articulate because i'm very tired (laughs) (laughs) and it feels like e3 is still happening somehow somewhere (laughs) um but i i find that i do not often have a lot of sympathy with valve the company especially off the back of a lot of things like the international battle pass stuff Mm. just it really rubs me up the wrong way nowadays Mm. so especially Um, the whole thing when they were like oh yeah if you if you manage to get the prize pool to uh 30 million then we'll give everyone essentially a bunch of extra hats and prize levels and stuff i mean past levels and you're kind of like oh another way of reading that is if you give valve i think it's somewhere north of 80 million
3: dollars <laughs> they will give you some
1: hats <laughs> uh, uh <clears throat> that that skews it in a slightly different direction when when reading that yeah I would
0: say. <laughs> they're very um uh Uh, experimental and and sort of scientifically minded company like when they do something they want to measure the results of it and one of the few things they can measure in absolute terms is money like when something sells oh look we can we have hard data that says this works um and in in a company that i think has a lot of uh you know a, a flat structure and a lot of people who um I guess basically no leadership like that's they would say that too I think that they they're not driven by leaders deciding what to do they're driven by consensus and in that situation maybe sometimes it's hard to have direction and if you have hard data that's something everyone can kind of uh, at least no one can disagree with Uh, we've seen this works whereas it's harder to say I don't like this (laughs) I don't think (laughs) you should either
1: (laughs) do you have much loot box experience
2: Uh, I've always, stayed, like, deeply mistrusted them and stayed away from them personally. Um But that's just, like, I know how bad odds are. I've played quite a lot of poker <laughs> and actually it's very hard to understand and wrap your, hand, uh, wrap your head around odds and chance mm. and you know, concepts like that. And um in UK law, I think, I believe they have to present the odds to you publicly before you play, like, an online game or something. Like, National Lottery has lots of mini uh-huh. games and things. And they have to show you somewhere what the chances of winning this thing are.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Uh, and, um, but I don't think that makes a difference because I think you're kind of, a lot of people just think they were going to win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not how odds work at all. That's how chance works. Is but I think like... it is
1: that thing of um, the odds might be point something of a percent, but it you either get the item or you don't. So mm. in some weird mental pocket, it's still always (laughs) 50-50. It's still either you get the outcome or you don't. Do you you see what I mean? And obviously that's not the mathematical truth of it and it's not how it shakes out over time. But Mm. it's that thing of, oh, I will either walk away from this. It's a binary, basically, rather than 50-50, I mean. So you either walk away from the thing with the thing you wanted or you don't.
2: There are loads of fallacies people fall into when they think about odds and chance and you see that in card games all the time and you see it in the way that lots of games are designed and the way that, you know, often games lie to you about chance just to make you feel happier Mm. about about things because (laughs) true chance and true dice rolls can be quite cruel and they can make you feel pretty bad. And when you will start to attach monetary worth to that, then that can cause problems, obviously, for people who get addicted to it.
1: It's that weird thing of um, when I applied for uh, maths degrees at university, some of the... uh, people who would do the interviews would actually give you a chance or a a statistic, uh, you know, like a gambling-related problem for you to solve. And it's partly because they are really difficult to wrap your head around because the the answer that you instinctively reach for is usually the wrong one and they can, you know, really trip you up. It's like that one of, you know, if you are given three options and you pick something at random and then someone takes one of the options away should you switch or should you stay mm. with what you The Monty you Hall do? problem. Yeah, basically. Um, but it
2: always, it gives you the illusion yeah. of control that you don't have. That's the thing about like gambling games in particular and as I have gambled in the past and I enjoy it never to any great degree but in, in games and things and, and I find... Uh, handling odds and thinking about them like, really interesting. and it's, it's, like, really intellectually fascinating and people take a lot of pleasure out of it. Yeah. So I, I don't want to, like, moralise against gambling as a, a thing that people do and enjoy because for most people it's fine.
1: Yeah. But
2: um, it's interesting that for, for some people it is does destroy people's lives for some people. Yeah, I would
1: definitely prefer to appreciate the abstract beauty of statistics (laughs) without then giving Valve my money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I loved statistics and I was really bad at it (laughs) at university. (laughs) And I had had exactly what you're talking about, Pip, where the answer, uh, I remember a problem where the answer was so counterintuitive that even though I actually got the question right on my first try, I just... I didn't even consider it could be right. I was just, well, this is definitely wrong. I've got to start again from the beginning, do all my working all over again, do it step by step. And I got the same answer. And I am like, what? It can't be that. <laughs> oh, it was.
1: The universe is broken. <laughs> oh dear.
0: Um, uh, also in Steam money news, um, <laughs> there's now a page, and I'll, I'll look this up for show notes, um, where you can uh, go there and it'll tell you how much you spent on Steam in total. Lifetime. Oh, God. (laughs) Interesting. I've not got there yet. I have spent $4,000 on Steam.
1: I have spent less. That makes me feel better. Although Steam, in that capacity, cannot track that transatlantic flight to the international (laughs) 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 Nor any of the money I spent at the secret shop while I was out there. So (laughs) (laughs) I believe my head is in the sand still.
0: (laughs) It sounded like a lot when I saw that. And then actually I thought like Steam started in 2003. And I had an account uh, from pretty early on, you know, probably uh, within a year of it starting, because um, Half Life Two was 2004, so I definitely had one then. Um, did I buy Half Life Two on Steam? Could <laughs> you even buy it on Steam, or did you? Ha- was it just a thing you had to register after you bought a CD? Oh, I don't
1: know. I think either. I
0: bought it on on Steam because I remember preloading it and stuff. Yeah. Well, so you, oh I was God. already buying games on Steam in 2004. did Steam start? Yeah. 2003. Okay um so that's uh if i started it. In, if i started using it in 2004 pretty sure 2004 would be the first time i bought something on steam mm. um so that's 14 years and it works out to like sort of 20 to 30 dollars a month i've spent which is not that crazy really <laughs> it's mm. like one game a month
1: Yeah. Mm. I'd be interested... Don't want to go
2: on that page. (laughs) Don't want to go there.
1: I'd be interested if they broke it down a bit more. I think that could just be an interesting... Because people love stats about themselves. It's why people will (laughs) fill in endless quizzes online or give things access to their lives that they really shouldn't be giving them (laughs) access to, you know? It's like those... um, you know, those ancestry things where you spit into a tube and then it tells you that at someone at some point in your family tree came from East Europe and you're like, <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> um, but it's that personalized data that people love so it does surprise me that they didn't break it down by genre yeah or by, cool. it's actually yeah.
0: it's a real like back-end page you know it's just a URL I can yeah. go to but it, it splits it into three categories and they just have like dev names with like underscores and codes in them um and it's very unuser friendly and i expect that they actually don't want to tell you this at all because <laughs> the first thing you think is oh shit i spent a lot of money on this fucking thing and i should stop um, and so my guess is that it might be gdpr related like maybe they have to right. disclose now yeah, like that's maybe. just a requirement somewhere people must be able to find out how much they've how much money yeah. they've given you total
1: i tell you what that whole the the way that cookies are now handled and disclosed <laughs> on websites just means that i now don't follow through on a lot of links that I click on, yeah. especially on my phone exactly. because they're so complicated and I want to opt out of everything, everything. I yeah. possibly can. Yeah. And so there are some where it won't let you do that. You would have to go individually um advertiser by advertiser and opt out on their page and at this point i just you know and it's i assume it's them hoping that you will say oh well i'll just go with it what harm could it do Hmm. but i would i don't think i have encountered a single news story that has meant enough to me that i will (laughs) not just navigate away and say fine then we won't i won't do that
0: yeah it's tough because there's so much of the um so many websites sort of make most of their uh, advertising revenue and traffic from people casually clicking a link on Twitter or something else. Yeah. They don't know what site they're going to really. They don't have any investment in it or care that much. Mm. And so if they click that and they get a huge fucking pop-up about something they don't understand, they're probably just going to give up. Mm. And it's probably going to have a pretty bad effect on that kind of revenue. I've actually I've been I've pleased... the
1: bounce rate will be through the ceiling. Yeah,
0: <laughs> my bounce rate is already incredibly high because uh, so many sites do that thing where that like you read for a second and then the whole screen goes white and they ask you to subscribe to their mailing list oh, yeah. which i'm sure you get slightly more mailing list subscriptions than if you just do a subtle uh thing but i don't know if they track how many people just instantly close the tab because mm. for me it's a hundred percent of the time i'm never gonna actually cancel that thing and go back to the site you've pissed me off too much i'm never coming back. Mm.
1: yeah I think I just try and X out of it and if I can't I just navigate back to the search page and click the next thing along. Yeah. So
0: Um Still on Steam. Oh my <laughs> god. We
1: should be getting our rate of, of Steam <laughs> um you know, dollars spent reduced for the amount of airtime they're getting on this, you know, it should be offset against
3: <laughs> chat. Well,
0: so Chris is not here. Um and if you he were here, who he would want you to know that um, uh, Hackmud 2.0 is, uh, has launched by the time you hear this, um, coinciding with the Steam Summer Sale, which is also launched at the same time. Hackmud is uh, 25% off. The reason Chris is not here is because he's working on Hackmud 2.0. <laughs> it turns out it has to be made before they can launch it.
1: Because currently we're lying to you. It's only the passage of time that will make these things true. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be true by the time this goes up. I've yep. confused the issue. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um and uh two adds uh a PvP system, which is a, a Chris describes it as a five dimensional card game, <laughs> which if you're into Hackmud, that'll not seem surprising or, or out of line for um what that game expects of its players, um and weird and wonderful things are going on in that. Chris is is architecting, finishing, hopefully, uh a series of mysterious goings-on, I think, that are gonna reveal this in some way, which is um A lot of what he does for that game, I um, haven't
1: understood a thing he's told me in the last like, <laughs> four months. I would say, <laughs> but he seems very excited.
0: <laughs> My games are probably reduced in the summer sale. I can't remember <laughs> how much by <laughs> I said it a long time ago. <laughs> Go buy those, maybe.
1: <laughs> You'll have to rearrange them on your on your lists and your carousel <laughs> at some point. Yeah.
0: Um, what have you folks been playing?
2: Maybe before we say what we've been playing, I have been was reminded by our chat about another piece of news that I don't think we spoke about last week, which is that the WHO, the World Health Organization, has oh, created yeah. uh, a gaming ad- addiction classification oh. in its uh, list, great Bible of disorders.
1: <laughs> has it actually, or is this a first draft that, because I think mm. I read something Earlier, that it was that they put out a statement saying something to the effect of that that wording was part of a first draft that a lot of people had advised against or hmm. that <laughs> were worried would lead to misdiagnosis of other right, conditions and things. Yeah, okay. um, but yeah, I that's as far as my reading on this subject has
2: gone. Yeah, well, that's a massive caveat on that then. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting to see how that one pans out, I suppose. It's, it's certainly being discussed a lot of mainstream news websites and it's been linked to Fortnite now and this is where the story's taking off on the, in terms of mainstream papers and how right. they're discussing it. Um,
1: I think it'll be really so interesting on. to see how a lot of these things shake out. So one of the things that I was going to say when we were talking about the loot box stuff um a few minutes ago was that my interest in that is more about uh, you know a a building sense of what we might need to look at and re-legislate for with regard to how games specifically use that kind of thing because it's a question that's come up again and again and it does leave particular people vulnerable and things. And and the WHO stuff, regardless of the specifics, feels like that's part of either a similar conversation or a related conversation, which is, you know, do we need to revise the way we talk about things? And it might be in that case that the answer is no, if if it turns out or if, if the evidence comes back on the side of... Um, that it it tends to be an easy way of dismissing or masking other disorders or whatever but um it it feels like it's i I don't think it's just the same conversation that we always seem to have about our video games evil mm-hmm. and ruining everyone yeah it it feels like there is a broader and I think it's it it's not just in games as well it's more just what has the internet done to the laws that we have and how we actually can process the world or safeguard particular elements of it. Mm. So it's been interesting doing like legal training and things at work. Yeah. It's, you know, things like the, the you know, um, global jurisdiction problems. It's,
2: yeah, that's really interesting. You always end up going with the most, the strictest because that's the one where you're, you know, you want to, the easiest way to defend yourself is to go abide by the strictest lo- uh, laws. And uh, mm. that's, that's. I mean, does that have, have a chilling effect if one country becomes particularly draconian about a subject as suddenly all media outlets have to follow that because that's where their greatest liability it would be. Um, but yeah, I guess that's like interesting media chats, not necessarily games chat.
1: <laughs> but I think but, it yeah. all ties in. Mm. It's kind of super interesting just to sort of see the world in this state of flux.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm.
0: Sorry, Tom. What have you been playing? <laughs> really interrupted you. Back on me. Um, I have been playing a little bit of a lot of things. Uh, so I'll run through some of them really quickly. One of them is I finished Far Loan Sales, which I talked about before. And I just wanted to say that uh, now that I finished it, it is beautiful from start to finish and just absolutely brilliant, gorgeous, peaceful experience. Oh, yeah, that looks amazing. This is a um, side-scrolling uh, game where you you are in in and out of a sort of land boat that you have to sort of stoke its engines and keep it maintained and it put up car? its sails.
1: Oh. It has sails.
3: <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, and um, yeah, it's just, it's peaceful. There's no combat. There's no, uh, not even any threat. You can't die in it or anything. It's just a, a lovely journey and a beautiful kind of uh, slightly haunting post-apocalypse. Um, and it's amazing how much it manages to have a sort of emotional arc and make you feel like moments of triumph and moments nice. of fear and stuff without actually any anything really happening mm-hmm. <laughs> um and uh I've played a shit ton of like Sl- the spire but yeah.
1: I won't talk about <laughs> that too. length
0: I just wanted to say this is actually a tip um they've recently added the ability uh, so I didn't realize this at first, but it has the ability to set the seed that you play on. Hmm. So one of my complaints about the game is that it's kind of too random. Like it's it's really hard to know what cards you're going to get. And so you try and build a deck thinking you'll get some good poison cards and it never gives them to you. Um, but you can specify the seed. And so you can just set the seed to like one and then see if that's a good poison run. And if it hmm. isn't, then you start again. Maybe you go for like shivs instead. Uh, but also they've added a thing where you can enter in certain keywords into that seed field and it will... Um, enable special modes and one of them is draft if you type in draft in capital letters as a seed instead of the starting deck of however many cards oh, it is yeah, um okay. you are offered three cards that many times and you just pick every single one of them huh. so you're starting 16 cards or whatever mm. is all stuff you picked and you might have had three choices you didn't really want you had to pick the, the best of a bad lot but uh, that's still way way better than the initial starting deck and then, of course, you're still going to be picking cards throughout the game. And so it gives you way more control over what kind of deck you're going to make. And when you do, you know, there are opportunities to remove cards from your deck throughout the game. And usually I'm spending those just to remove the shitty basic cards you start with. And so it, there's no decision making going into it. But with draft mode, I've, you know, everything was my decision. Some of those decisions were were not as... Um, good as as others and so you're using those removes to get rid of the things that don't make sense and so you just have way more control and you can make way better decks it's also just way easier obviously because yeah. you just have better cards but uh for me the game was not too easy and what i wanted was more control and that's that's giving it to me yeah i believe
2: that um the draft is actually one of the kind of special random rules that you can get when you do like a random daily run yeah so i wonder if there are loads of those keywords for all of those special abilities that you can yeah. type in
0: uh, one of the other keywords you can you can type in actually is um uh daily mods with a zero for the O um, and that will just give you a daily like run but, uh, that isn't necessarily the daily <laughs> so this is just in, like one of their news posts probably the latest one mm. maybe still at the time you <laughs> you hear this um, they've just got a list of what the keywords are and I think they're going to make it into like a separate menu at some point because they should that makes sense yeah I think they're
2: also adding endless mode or I believe it's in beta testing yeah. I need to check that out as well um, it's
0: terrible <laughs> 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 I, I tried it and uh um it's uh, if you have a deck that will beat the final boss the things it makes harder next time don't really affect your deck and so you just Oof. steamroll it again okay. and I, I just got to the point where i just killed myself because it was so boring <laughs> <laughs> Wow! in the game
1: do you think that the um the increased control will affect how often you come back? I'm just thinking yeah, to what my, we said about the almost, you know, almost the loot box mentality of if chance works against you, you start hmm. another one hoping to get a better result this time. But if you have a bit more control and can figure out, oh well, this wasn't a poison run, so let's just try again. You know, is that gonna? Do you think yeah, be less.
0: Well, engaged? previously it was at the point where I was sort of almost never getting a deck that actually did anything i hoped it would do you know whatever i chose early on turned out to be the wrong things to choose given what i was giving later on Mm. because there's so many possibilities so i was never getting to have that feeling of like oh this deck actually works like this these compromises i made early on are paying off now because i have these cards and so now that does happen you know by no means all of the time but (laughs) (laughs) more of the time
2: yeah it's definitely going to help um, me because I'm at the point of fatigue with the randomization, which I think Tom me like a month or so before me um, but uh, I, there's also just ways of playing with each of the characters that I love and that's kind of how I want to play them so with the defect which is the robot what I like to do is get just get generate loads of orb slots and he kind of fills these orbs with special powers and then channels them to do damage um, so I like to get loads of orb slots, um, fill them up really easily get them to cycle for free and then um, apply multipliers to those orbs and just watch all the passive damage and all the kind of crazy shit that you know my magic juggling act uh, creates just wipe the board really good like in like two turns until you just destroy the final boss and that's how I want to play that character (laughs) and I'm kind of not always going in looking for that unpredictable experience sometimes I just want to slay the spire in that particular way and uh, this like uh, the draft is a good way of letting you do that and also kind of lets you experiment and think well don't want to be punchy with the robot because that's apparently you can build a really good sort of martial arts build with the with the robot and uh you can't, just can't do that in random mode you just have to play it over and over again so often and just be hoping for it you'll never discover that build so i think it's this would be a great mode for say the Player.
0: yeah hmm. um i also have been playing Crypt Arc, mm. which um is not a new game it's a side scrolling um shooter about going inside spaceships, <laughs> which uh, is a subject matter that feels to me. <coughs> the reason I went back to it actually is because I, I met the developers while we were both working on our Go Inside Spaceships game. And um, uh, they were, they'd were they heard of Heat Signature and um, uh, wanted to chat, and they were very nice. And so I felt like, I oh, I should check out the game when it comes out. I did play it when it came out, and I didn't play it for long. And I couldn't remember exactly why or what happened, but I knew I should get back to it. So I did get back to it. And... Um, I remembered why I stopped playing. <laughs> it's um, uh, it's brutally difficult. <laughs> it's just one of those games that like, um, uh, just sort of starts at eleven. You know, like there's no. It does start easier and get harder, but the easier mode is still. You are immediately from the word go on every mission. You have a time limit. Um, you. When you start, you have no idea what enemies look like, uh, what enemies do, or what any of the things you're supposed to take out are. Mm-hmm. The the main sort of objective is you're always going inside one giant spaceship and um, trying to destroy its core, and its core is a big um, object that just has a lot of hit points. But often it's shielded, and so the first thing you have to go go and do is destroy the shield system. And sometimes, like the shield system is hooked up to an alarm, so you want to take out the alarm first. Or there's a repair system and if the repair system still exists when you take out the shield system the shield system will be repaired by the time you get to the core so you need to take out the repair system first and it's in theory it's like a pleasingly systemic approach like every part of the ship does something and taking it out prevents it from doing that but they have such a, a sort of linear chain of dependencies like that that it kind of boils down to just you have to take out this thing first there's no point taking the other thing to you take out that thing and then you've got to take out thing two second because there's no point taking out thing three to take out thing two. (laughs) And then you've got to take out thing three. Um, And so that side of it is not mega interesting. Um, But it's kind of nice. One nice thing about it is that all those systems, they're not just a a sort of a lump that you just shoot. Um, They all do something. And so the system, like the shield system, is a little core with two shields rotating around it. And if you shoot the shields, your shots bounce back and hit you. So you've got to try and get past the shields. The system that controls all the turrets is a giant turret, <laughs> and you can only shoot it when it's about to shoot you, like it opens up. Um, the system that um, the system that controls all the doors just has three security doors in front of it, and you have to hack them with like a little mini game to get into it. Um, another one of these systems that you kind of just have to take out before anything else is. Um, the shuffle system which means all systems randomly change places with other systems so you're going for the repair system take it out first and then it just changes and now it's a system you don't want to take out so you just well i've got to take out the shuffle system first <laughs> when you get to that it's a little grid and the actual core is on that grid but it keeps changing positions because that's kind of like what it does to the thing so it's got this weird like meta um thing where the, the nature of each uh component reflects what it does in the grand scheme of things um but yeah like a mission where you're you have a time limit and um there'll be a system that's constantly spawning new enemies in so the enemies are respawning they're all around you all the time it's really hard to see them because everything in the game is a spiky metallic thing with lights on it and so like keys in this game are just a giant spike sticking out of the wall with another spike that's endlessly stabbing <laughs> you're supposed to look at that and think oh that's something i need to go and pick up but then like a little floating kind of uh armored thing uh, you're supposed to know, oh, that's an enemy. I should go nowhere near that. Um, and I should shoot it as quickly as possible. And so I'm constantly having trouble just figuring out what is hostile and what isn't. Um, and yeah, you're under time limit. Everything you destroy is being repaired unless you take out the repair system first. Then you try and take that repair system everything shuffles around. Um, it just feels like, I'm familiar with this kind of design where if players find your game too easy, whatever it is they're doing, you add something that counters that. And oh, then okay. when they... When they take out that you think okay well actually know what we should add is something that counters what they're doing now and they feel like they've done that like eight times and then put it all in level one (laughs) or most of it in level one not not all of that stuff is on is on level one necessarily but um it just ramps up way too quickly so like by level two you're just under pressure from all directions at all times and there's no breathing room there's no ability to just kind of get comfortable with the game Hmm. um which is a shame and uh I was struggling th- through this and thinking that it was way too hard and then at some point I was doing quite well getting quite invested and then I just I don't know what I took damage from just something hurt me like like I say it's visually chaotic and um, it's hard to see what's happening and sometimes you just take damage and you don't know why and that killed me and I rage quit and then I deleted it from my hard drive <laughs> oh my <God. laughs> and then uh, I, re- I suddenly remembered this is what happened last time this is why I didn't carry on <laughs> I got really annoyed at how brutally hard it is and uh uh some unfair death happened and i lost my patience but it is really kind of addictive like it's um that systemic approach is is really um compelling and it has this very um involved economy system where every time you go on a mission all the things you choose for your loadout cost you something and the mission only pays 150k and your loadout the default loadout costs like 140k so you're going to make 10k. You have such a narrow profit margin. And If you want some extra ammo for your gun, that's it. You're just you're going to break even at best. Um, and if you need, if you run out of ammo in the middle of the mission, you find like an ammo restock point. Mm. I was like, okay, great. I'll restock my, my machine gun. It says, okay, restock ammo for 13,000. Like, what? <laughs> it's going to cost me 13,000 just to use this thing. Uh, it's really harsh like that. But it did. Uh, it has the, a cool effect of like you start with just a, a decent solid machine gun, but you can if you like replace it with a shittier machine gun <laughs> <laughs> that's cheaper, it's like less accurate yeah, okay. and it has that, that kind of cool feel of like I'll just take like the the rust bucket shitty mech because I think I can pull this off um, which is a perfect system if the game was like slightly too easy <laughs> <laughs> actually the game is slightly too hard and so you um uh, it's you don't really feel like taking all those bets on yourself and giving yourself disadvantages mm-hmm. um, but they interplay and I see every mission has like optional objectives and one of the optional mm-hmm. objectives might be something like keep your loadout budget under 125k. And so if you do that, you'll get paid uh, obviously you'll save money on, on your build anyway, but then you'll also get paid a bonus for fulfilling that objective. And if you fulfill all objectives, you get an extra bonus on top of that. And so you end up making almost all of your money from the from the bonuses because like I say, the build costs almost as much as you get paid for the mission. Um and yeah, that's really cool. So we ended up downloading it again, <laughs> playing it again, <laughs> having learned nothing. Um <laughs> And uh, that's when I discovered it does not store your saves uh, anywhere else. If you uninstall the game, you lose all your save games, <laughs> uh, including your progress in Gross. in like the roguelike mode where you unlock um, okay. different mechs and things. So it was just completely wiped back to zero, but I kind of still played it <laughs> and I'll probably carry on playing it a little bit. I think, you know, if, if the biggest problem with the game is it's just too brutal and, and hard, my familiarity with it now is making it a little bit easier. So I'm kind of getting to the point I would have been anyway if it had a good tutorial level and some introduction. Well, um, do you
2: think you persisted with it because the way the guns feel, the way it looks, or is, what's it, what's going kind to of drag you through it?
0: I think it's like the prospect of finding interesting new weapons. Hmm. Um, in every level, you, there's tech stations and those unlock new things that you can add to your loadout next mission. And um, just before I got killed in a really frustrating way... I had found a, um, some kind of energy weapon that uh, it would, it low damage, but it was kind of uh, automatically hit something near me, kind of seek to enemies. It's basically like chain lightning. Um, it would hit one enemy and then it would also hit any nearby enemies um, and it could go through walls. Nice. And so the fact that it was low damage didn't matter that much because you could kind of just keep using it um, and you know make yourself safe while you're using it. It would run out of charge, but then it recharges. All energy weapons recharge for free. And my big problem until then had been like ammo. I was just running out of ammo for everything all the time. And you do have like a melee dash, um, but it takes skill to use it. (laughs) And uh, I'm having, I'm struggling at the best of times. You know, I'm just surrounded by enemies all the time. There's enemies dashing at me. There's enemies um, firing projectiles. And then there's enemies firing like slow moving projectiles. Then there's enemies that fire swarms of other drones that seek onto you. And then there's things that there's explosives that like spray out acid globs that just kind of wobble through space really slowly and they don't look that dangerous but mm. if they touch you they stick to you and then eventually do damage to you and so i'm just getting hit from everything all the time and the prospect of trying to like do finesse type melee plays in the middle of that was to, <laughs> i do it sometimes but uh, most of the time it's just like oh god i can't face it and then i got this gun that says i don't have to aim with this <laughs> i can shoot through <laughs> walls it's just hitting everything all the time um and combined, figuring out that, oh, I can replace my melee with that because now I've got something that's free, mm. it's going to replenish all the time. And then realizing, oh, now that I'm out of ammo for my machine gun, maybe I replace my machine gun with this flamethrower and figuring out builds like that. And that's all with just the starting mech. There's six different mechs. One of them is like a stealth mech. and oh, wow. So there's loads more in there to discover. Sounds rad. Seraph, is it? Not Seraph. Cryptarch. Cryptarch. Why, was I,
2: why did I think of Seraph? Seraph is <laughs> a different game where you play um, a kind of futuristic warrior who is, like, shooting... The shooting's automatic. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. And um, so she, she'll she target things around her as you just, like, click the button down. Actually, all you're controlling is her acrobatics. She sort of oh, vaults hey, hey. between bullets. That's cool. And it's it's a really neat idea. Like, a, uh, the actual combat was quite well executed, but the level's very repetitive, and it felt like a kind of... Almost like a prototype of something that could be really fucking awesome if people kind of copied that or they just sort of iterated on it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know why that griptape reminded me of that. But yeah, sounds mm. awesome. I'll give this a shot, on.
1: You should. Um, you should bookmark that for because um, one of the questions that we or variations of questions that we get a lot of is mm. what what X would you like to see? Why oh, yeah. Yeah, do totally. something with? Yeah, totally. So and my go-to answer for that is um, Scanner Somber mm. by. Um, the prison architectives yeah because it, it felt like such a neat tool set and mm. i wanted to see what the community would do with it mm. so yeah like that that mechanic or that sort of movement set and attack set but it sounded like yeah if they gave it to to someone or to made it open source so the community could have a bit yeah. of play
2: there's so many ideas like that in games aren't there Where, yeah yeah games should copy
0: each other more <laughs>
2: when
3: the ideas are good
1: <laughs>
0: What have you been playing, Pip?
1: Hello. Um, well, I think Tom and I have both had forays into Fortnite uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <laughs> Although neither of us has fared amazingly well. I don't think we've fallen in love with
2: it quite yet. But I gave it a shot. I tried.
1: Because yeah. you, you were playing, but you were playing on the Switch, weren't you? Yes, yeah,
2: so they, re- um, they launched it on Switch. Was it last week as part of E3 or something? I can't remember. I
1: think so.
2: Uh, but and it's it, it, it kind of... It blows my mind that it's free and that you can download something that's just a huge colourful game full of 100 players and for nothing and that you can get so much fun out of that. And it's no mystery why it's taken off so well and that the kids love it.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, But I I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) I hate it so
1: much.
2: I can't stand anything about it I like, don't
1: feel like I have enough fingers to do building
2: yeah that's a good point I mean it's possible that we're all just ancient and yeah. uh, you just need a, a, a you know a young mind that's able to do all these things at the same time but I just feel like I'd, I'd have to do so much learning muscle memory just to mm. be able to sort of automatically build stuff in the way that good Fortnite players can uh, and I just can't be can't be messing with that
1: to be no. honest I mean it took me long enough to try and approach using four of the Guitar Hero Colours. <laughs> <laughs> Let's never talk about orange. because That never happened. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, so I also did not fare amazingly. But um, I actually was, I decided to incorporate the game into um, my ongoing Long exposure screenshot project, Hmm. which is of interest to probably no one but me, but it involves um, essentially taking really short videos of uh, gameplay, but where you're standing still, so that often when you're standing still, so that it essentially is recording minute differences from frame to frame, and then you layer those frames and merge them in Hmm. an image editing. Program and the merging produces an effect similar to long exposure photography. So, everything that stayed still across multiple frames is pin sharp, and everything that was moving around is this blurry effect hmm. in various different ways. And so Something like Fortnite, which was quite bright but had, uh, you know, uh, water effects and, you know, when the storm comes in, there's Mm. some effects that are associated with that. It felt like a good candidate for that. But I also learned that my highest ever finishes in a Battle Royale game were always going to come from me standing by the side of a lake pretending I wasn't there and composing shots, you know. I finished, I think I finished 17th while doing that and 22nd while doing that.
0: Did you get anybody or just...
1: No, nobody. So just um, I didn't even waited. pick up a gun. I, I was just standing by, it's it's called Loot Lake, I believe. Um, just sort of figuring out, because... Um, What I was doing, I was initially cropping particular bits of the frame when I was just being a bit lazy and not investigating anything in terms of the um, different options, the HUD options and things. Um, But uh, one of our colleagues uh, pointed out that they have a replay system where you can switch into a sort of... uh, a free camera view I think they call it like free drone cam or something mm-hmm. um and so I was just sort of in while I was playing in quote marks um while I was playing I was just sort of getting a sense of which shots I would like to experiment with mm-hmm. and then I would load up the replay find my character and then just you know figure out uh, you know go into this free cam mode and then record you know four or five seconds worth of footage of, of various things and mess with the um, field of view and all of that kind of thing. And it's been really interesting. And it's it I really love that stuff because you can make games feel atmospheric because I think one of the things that screenshots can really struggle to do is capture the feeling of the actual play, the moment-to-moment play. You know, if you were having... Mm. a a nice experience of the atmosphere it can still just look like this static you know everything in perfect focus oh okay quite flat um image that's really hard to pass whereas if you start um experimenting with all of these things and then run it through a bunch of um post-processing stuff you know mess around with the colors mess around with the effects um Obviously, it's not stuff that faithfully represents the product that you might buy, but it can be a nice way of trying to express something about the emotional experience of being in that landscape. Um, Obviously, it's not what you'll experience if you are playing Fortnite, it just isn't but it was yeah it's that's part of that project for me Mm. but also stupidly i got you know obviously because somebody did run past me at one point i watched them (laughs) i just watched them go and i was thinking i suppose i could pick up that gun that i can see from here and take a few shots but it was like but that just feels really disruptive and they're on their way somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Surely so... got better things to do than being killed. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's like, live and let live, really. <laughs> I'll just stay here. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of the things that I was tinkering about with. And the other thing has been Jurassic World Evolution, which is Frontier's theme park management sim that is tied to the Jurassic Park slash world franchise. Mm. Um and I eh eh. No, not good. <laughs> eh um I was I was really sad that we don't do audio reviews because that would have made my life a lot easier because it would have just been da <laughs> you know um because essentially it's a very beautiful game when you first start playing but the depth just isn't there mm. in any way shape or form and i you know I, I i don't it's hard to know where to look in terms of culpability for that because obviously it's a developer who has to work with the holder of the IP, you know, the the owner of the franchise or, you know, various stakeholders. So it's, you know, it's really hard to know what was not necessarily good game um, dev decision making and what was you are not allowed to do that thing with our franchise, right? Hmm. Um, But essentially it's it's a series of islands um, set in you know the the is it the Muertes Archipelago it's called mm-hmm. in the in the in the fiction um, and so you start on a relatively straightforward island building a park you know you've got um, dinosaur enclosure and you've got a little it's called I think it's the Hammond Creation Center where you can <laughs> incubate your dinosaurs and then you know you. You learn about things like the um, the the teams. You have one building from which you can send out people to uh, dig up fossils at various locations, um, and then you, uh, when they come back, you you do analysis on them to learn more about particular dinosaur genomes, and that means that they that there's a higher chance of them surviving the the hatching process, and then. Right. So
0: this is uh you're not like gathering the dna in the first place right you already have the dna to make them
1: so you have the dna to make your initial dinosaur and then everything else you you have to seek out so you start (laughs)
0: it's something weird about like we have the dna to make the actual dinosaur but we're still going to go looking for fossils to try and find out (laughs) what was this dinosaur like (laughs) can you splice a little bit of squirrel in there (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, yeah, basically. What? Yes. <laughs> so the default is that you fill everything in with frog DNA. Mm. <laughs> what? As per. is so that's per, the plot of Jurassic Park, yeah. yeah. Oh,
3: right. That's um, why it all goes wrong, apparently.
1: Because, yeah, because certain types of frogs or the amphibians can, if, if they're in a predominantly female environment, can switch to, they can become male and start impregnating
0: Ah, So
1: basically that's the whole plot of Jurassic Park was life finds a way because frogs, frogs
0: find a way <laughs> because
1: frogs know their know their onions frogs
0: will fuck anything whatever. doesn't matter what you've done to them
1: I mean if you've seen our pond outside at various <laughs> points in time it's like it's just the, the mass of limbs and just, spawn
0: I feel like if Jeff Goldblum said frogs will fuck anything it wouldn't have been
1: <laughs> quite the iconic
0: line that it ended up being
1: frogs fuck frogs anything, frogs. anything man <laughs> we'll never know because his delivery is perhaps the key factor yeah it? true, you true. Know?
0: It's yeah, I, yeah I wouldn't put it past him that he could sell that line
1: (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway so yeah so so you can research the uh the the dinosaur dna to essentially make it more robust when you're trying to build these dinosaurs but the other things that you can do uh, you can use your research teams for are researching things like uh different traits from other species that you might be able to swap in essentially Uh. to the dinosaur genome and that can have an effect on the viability of the the embryo and things. Um, but, you know, it's things like you can use, I think it's snake DNA to make them more aggressive. Or you can... <laughs> Why
0: you do know. you want to do that?
1: <laughs> and the, like, um I think there's a, like a durability bonus if you swap in some turtle stuff or, you know it seems somewhat simplistic you can tell that it was a little while ago since i wrote this review because all of this stuff it was right there and now not so much but... can
0: you like take it too far and just put so much snake dna in it that you just made a snake so, <laughs> and then put that in the park and see so how it what went.
1: happens is you choose uh which uh species of dinosaur you want to incubate and then you can click on the option to modify that uh the dinosaur's DNA, but then there are only uh, a certain number of slots along the hmm. along the genome. Basically. DNA slots, right? <laughs> and yeah. then, and, and so it. some <laughs> of them are only for uh, defensive stuff. Some of them are only for <laughs> of course, aggressive yeah. stuff. You can't you put know, attacking DNA, because in here. obviously, Authentic. why not? Um, <laughs> and so essentially, <laughs> you are building this park. You are trying to manage these extra resources and the costs associated with them you're breeding dinosaurs you are you know building hotels and gift shops and things to sort of meet visitor needs and things like that but ultimately once you've got past all of that stuff and some of the cinematics are amazing like when you first release a dinosaur into your park it's it is a proper holy heck kind of moment because- really it's got a great squirrel's tail <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it.
0: this is kind of why I want to like just make uh, like cross a snake with a frog and ignore the whole dinosaur thing and, like a grand unveiling I've made the frog snake the freak <laughs>
1: Jonathan Frakes. The Jonathan Frakes. My pet
0: Frake. <laughs> Feels like you could get.
3: Da,
1: da, da. <laughs> and then it climbs onto a chair backwards.
2: <laughs> Feels like you can get like every monster movie out of this one park if you really were creative enough with the DNA. You could do Anaconda, obviously. But if, uh, you could do. Uh, I was Piranha. about to say Donkey Kong, but it's not. That's not what that film's called. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, Donkey PC
2: Kong PC. Skull Island <laughs> Donkey Kong Skull Island Oh
1: god You could do Piranha
2: could you do Piranha could Absolutely do, yeah, yeah
1: Lots of things um, But essentially um, It's all just It's so samey After a while It's You know The crowds aren't interesting You know You can't click on a person And get any sense that's Of just, their experience That's just crowds They put them in <laughs> no, but you know how you used to be able to click on like individual visitors to, you know, theme, you park. Know, theme park things and they'd sort of tell you a bit about their day. Hmm. You cannot do that. They hmm. are just the same few character models again and again and again again um they
0: could have faked that pretty easily and just like everyone i click on just says i like dinosaurs (laughs) (laughs)
1: um but you've also got to balance three factions so you've got your entertainment division your science division and your security division and if you do particular tasks for one then it improves your rep with them but decreases your rep with the others and the reason that you're trying to increase your rep is that it triggers particular, you know, mission activities, which then unlock other research stuff and therefore facilities or dinosaurs or whatever the hell it is. Um, but if your rep with other factions decreases too much, then they'll start sa- sabotaging your part. <laughs> and it's, like, it's like in in the original JP in OGJP
0: <laughs> Is that what we're calling it?
1: No, never again. Um, but Dennis Nedry is like he is a particular human being hmm. whose circumstances and venal awfulness mean that he is, you know ripe for corruption. He hmm. needs money he is a terrible jerk and, you know, he's not ultimately very good at it either <laughs> but he sabotages the whole thing. Whereas Which this, faction was he? <laughs> I just, don't even know at this point <laughs> yeah anyway, he would have been security i guess because he was in charge of the mainframe that yeah. locked the dinosaurs on, the don't bit. all
2: these people work for you
1: so <laughs> this is the thing i think the idea is essentially that there is a broader corporation and you have been tasked with running the park so i work I for
0: science
1: but <laughs> i mean yeah i was very much like why are these people i can i fire these people yeah. these yeah. people are dreadful but so the security division will just start letting out dinosaurs if <laughs> they I like you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Look, this, this is an HR incident now. I mean, this needs to be taken quite seriously.
1: Yeah, or like... This
0: is literally... This is like where you had one job come from. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the origin of that meme is from yeah, the Jurassic yeah. Park credits. <laughs> the security but... team really do just have the one job.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but And so it's this other... Th- you know, I think one of the other things was I think my rep fell with... I think it might have actually been the science team. And they poisoned a whole bunch of dinosaurs. <laughs> and I'm like... No, that doesn't make (laughs) sense. This is not security. And I guess it fits with the whole awful, awful um sort of soullessness of the Jurassic World end of the franchise mm. but the Jurassic Park side of things was so much about you know these you know people had their hubristic nonsense but they were also you know so many people in that film were genuinely excited about dinosaurs they wanted to care for them mm. like you know that guy is out there with the triceratops like trying to figure out what's wrong and yeah. you know all of that stuff and it, it just feels like that that Joy is just not there It's a bunch of people Who are willing to poison creatures Because they You didn't want to build them a thing Or research a dinosaur To the extent that they wanted it to happen And the other thing is like each of the factions will give you the same tasks. It's just it happens to increase your rep with them, not other people. So mm. I had the same task from the security and the entertainment team, which was make some dinosaurs fight each other.
0: Which <laughs> Hang on, again, I security,
3: even, we need to talk.
1: The security department is by far, you know, the most awful and, you know, the, the prime candidates for a firing. The
0: job is to make sure nothing goes wrong. Wouldn't it be cool if two dinosaurs just had a big fight? <laughs> Can we make that happen
1: I haven't even told you the worst thing they asked me to do, so I leveled up my rep with security enough that I think I triggered a mission on one of the islands, and they asked me to breed a raptor with the aggressive instincts thing, (laughs) and I'm like, I can see where this is about to go, and if you can't, you're an idiot. And obviously the raptors got out.
0: Security's <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so like, no, how could we ever seen this?
1: <laughs> and there was another point where um, quite early on, I think the idea was to, to function as part of a tutorial to um, introduce how you tranquilize and, you know, re-contain escaped dinosaurs, right? But the way that the security man goes about it is he just demands that you open a cage, and release a dinosaur into your park, and I'm like, could we not have done this on the off season, you know, yeah. or when it's closed? Why does it have to be when humans? <laughs> I mean,
0: is it possible the security team are dinosaurs? <laughs> They're primarily concerned with.
1: It's like a little person. It's a T-Rex in a human outfit <laughs> going, and now you let the dinosaurs out.
0: <laughs> As our chief security advisor, I believe you should put more aggression into the dinosaurs. What does that chief security Security advisor
2: eats two triceratopses every day. Kind of, where does he get that appetite? And he sort of roars at the moon every now and then. It's very, very strange. there's old Terry
0: doing his security thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> his jacket doesn't really fit, but with no. his tiny arms, let's not not mention that. The claws as well.
0: Can hardly reach his keyboard sometimes.
2: He's wearing a hat. I don't know how he got it He's on there. To
1: draw for all his drinks. <laughs> um yeah so the whole thing is a bit like really like it just doesn't seem to almost understand its own premise or what made the film fun um and then i I had a really weird moment where on the fourth island i finally put a t-rex in a paddock and was just gradually sort of trying to wait for some money to tick in because it was just like oh this is the most boring thing so i tabbed out for a while um but then at some point the t-rex got out don't ask i can't remember (laughs) um
0: i think security might have been involved
1: (laughs) probably terry the security t-rex might have been involved (laughs) (laughs) but um and so I couldn't actually afford to buy the the facility that would let me trap and re you know re um return it to captivity. <laughs>
0: well, so I- there it goes then. <laughs> That's the end of that. <laughs> so
1: I just sort of like Oh, well, um, I guess. I'll see. So I was gradually letting the money to fix this terrible scenario accumulate. But in the meantime, a lot of people died and a lot of people (laughs) had to try and find shelter. And I think, um, and I don't necessarily think this was a smart move on the AI's part. But I mean, a a few, I think about four or five people hid in the T-Rex enclosure which, you know, (laughs) I mean in terms of the places
3: where the T-Rex is not
2: going
3: to be, right?
1: But it meant that when I had finally repaired the T Rex enclosure <laughs> and had tranquilized and returned to the T Rex. The icon that tells you that people are in danger did not go away. And I eventually, like, I, I you know, zoomed in and had a look around. And it was, just, you know, I think there were five scientists huddled under a tree looking terrified. And I was like, and there was just no way of getting them out because there was no way of selecting them. There was no way of, I think.
0: Does this problem not eventually go away by itself? <laughs>
1: well, that was my. Strategy. Chris actually encountered something similar, I believe. But what he did was he built a um, an emergency shelter, which you activate to make people run to that shelter uh-huh. um, within a certain radius, I think. And so he managed to flush almost all of them out using that. But because the money was taking such a long time to tick up on that island. I, I didn't have that option, no. so it was very much a kind of, oh, well. <laughs> and I think the way that I actually finally afforded my way out of at least part of the problem was it's that other thing of some of your assets are shared across islands, but money isn't, and that doesn't make mm. any sense to me. So I couldn't take any money with me from any of the other islands to this island to help solve my problem. But I could send research teams out on other islands (laughs) to bring back fossils that would then appear in the fossil (laughs) area on this other island, and I could then sell them for money. Oh my
3: god. (laughs) Hmm.
1: So the whole thing was just, I can't even, and there there are just so many not great quality of life decisions like if you if you want to start again when you've unlocked a whole bunch of new things and you want to um have another crack at like designing the layout and things, your options are to either painstakingly by hand delete all of the things and sell all of your assets off and whatever else to keep the money that you have earned on that island and be able to use that to start you know your freshly rebuilt park or you reset everything back to the start conditions and you've unlocked more things so you can build them when you have the money but you still only have the initial cash that you would have started with like when you first accessed it so you you know i i think i had like about 50 million dollars kicking around and a really not great designed park because i had been designing it on the fly and so i was like oh maybe i can use this to nope i was back to two million um, if if i did that and i would have to tranquilize and sell dinosaurs individually while also trying to sell bits of the park so that visitors were you know so that my money didn't tip into the red and then i didn't lose that money to oh.
0: who do you sell the dinosaurs to
1: who knows? <laughs> Same place they go when they die. <laughs> you just have to airlift them out of there to God knows where. Just dump them in the <laughs> sea. Oh, an not
0: problem now.
1: Exactly. It's so kind of. <laughs> just sold them to terrorists. Oh, the whole thing is just. Yeah. Mm. And also, I was kind of wondering whether any of these plot points were like indicative of fallen kingdom being incredibly boring or something or being about a really weird management scenario that
3: Is Fallen
0: Kingdom the next movie?
1: It's the one that's currently out. Ah. Um I don't know if it's out in the US, but it's definitely out in the UK. Chris and I went to see it and it's like it's uh, mm, it <laughs> mm. <laughs> There are plot holes. It's kind of gloriously stupid in places and then boringly stupid in others. <laughs> mm. And also has an odd gothic horror street running through it. So one of the dinosaurs is essentially making its amateur stage debut as Dracula (laughs) for, for parts of the film. And then they just sort of wholesale crib from the original film and it's like... I think there's so there's a really bad painting by Picasso that I studied for my dissertation, and it references, I think, um, both some of his own earlier works and um, uh, some works by previous masters. And I think someone want, uh, described it as gingering up a I can't remember the exact phrasing but gingering up a poor experience with borrowed fire (laughs) and I really liked that as a way of sort of thinking of Fallen Kingdom the movie but I think uh, yeah the the game itself the uh, park management is just like uh, I gave it a 71 out of 100 (laughs) but yeah I oh. 'Cause like I had a good, you know, first segment with it. But yeah. everything after that is a slog. I don't care about the sandboxy island hmm. because I still haven't unlocked everything for it and I'm just done. And, yeah. you know, I'm on the fourth island of five of the, the story ish stuff and it's just it's a miserable grind at this point and I don't care and I don't mm. want to do it and the fences are stupid and <laughs> Uh, I, I have to do too much work to like the dinosaurs myself. They're beautiful and when you tranquilize them and you drag them like big sleepy kind of things back to their pens that's adorable but that's only going to carry you so far. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> One sad Diplodocus out of ten.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How about you Tom? Um, I've just
2: been playing Assassin's Creed Oranges uh, which I know we talked about a lot on the pod but I really bounced off it pretty hard for the first time I played it, even though it's, it's just stunning, stunning, stunningly beautiful. Um, and that's obviously the reason I'm mostly playing it, but also because there's just like moments of wonderful jank in it that I keep discovering. And <laughs> uh, there's one I'd had just before I came out where I was just walking through the desert and I was kind of investigating some tombs and uh, I saw what I thought was like oh it's two hyenas and oh I need to kill those hyenas because I need to make them into a bag because this is a Ubisoft game and uh, so I approached them and then the uh, there was a hyena that was sitting up and sort of facing sideways um, and then there was a a hyena that was lying down and facing away from me Uh, and as I approached the uh, one that was looking sideways noticed me and turned towards me and the one that was uh, lying down on the ground uh, very slowly got up and then divided
3: (laughs) sideways
2: (laughs) into four (laughs) hyenas (laughs) and then in unison they just swiveled around towards me Uh, and um, so I saw the film Hereditary last night uh, and this was far more disturbing this this moment of just like Uh, mitosis of this one creature into many <laughs>
0: hyena mitosis
2: <laughs> or is it meiosis I could get those mixed up uh, and then and then, like as one they charged me like the, the ones side heart know and the, the four that had merged into one and there must have been some sort of weird animation glitch where you know they found a patch of stable ground to do the line down and animation yeah. one or something like that and, yeah. th- and they'd all occupied exactly the same kind of point on, in, on the ground uh but yeah, it was just like a, a mad, terrified butchering of these poor creatures. Just uh, like a <laughs> moment of kind of weird transcendental horror in the middle of an otherwise extremely beautiful and realistically <laughs> rendered game about ancient Egypt.
1: I like the idea that maybe this was just a piece of knowledge that had come to the developers through like really painstaking research. Like, no, yeah. hyenas can do that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Sometimes just split into four. We were surprised too. <laughs> we lost a researcher to that. <laughs>
1: and here we are yeah oh wow so is it that that's co- that brought you back is it this weird kind of tension between <laughs> seriousness and what the hell was that yeah cause I
2: feel like the, the, the visual fidelity is incredible yeah. it, it, moment to moment it is like a proper leap from a, like a load of other game worlds um, and that that bodes so well for like ancient Greece I'm really excited about the next one
1: yeah uh, me too actually I think mm. it's
2: gonna be just a beautiful like oh go around some Greek islands and sort of see a kind of cartoon fun version of history there like I'm so. I'm sorry <laughs> Up for that? That's brilliant. Uh, however many hippos I choose to, you know, <laughs> divide. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's also just like moments where. You could get put your horse horse on the road and hold down A to have them just like glued to the road. Mm. Then tap Y to have them just autopilot there, which is brilliant. Like it's a, that's a brilliant thing to have in your game. Uh, and then you could just go uh, as I was described before in previous pods. Like you could just become embody an eagle. That's yeah. what the series lets you do now, and and that's awesome. Uh, but I quite like staying down on the ground to see how the horse madly navigates the, car, <laughs> the, the dynamic elements on the ground and it is a crap shoot down there like there's, there's a re- there's a reason they want you to go up into that eagle and i think it's because that <laughs> horse cannot handle the shit that's going on in that world <laughs> uh, and I could, you can you kind of see when the pathing path is gonna go mad because uh, like there are like traders that kind of dynamically move between settlements it's incredible like you just see them like coming down the road towards you but you are in a slightly built up area and th- this is where the where the horse is gonna go to fuck. You just this is the precise <laughs> combination of elements that and I'm sort of like watching there like with popcorn and it's like <laughs> what the fuck's it gonna do? With
0: the number of horses in this world and how many people travel by horse there is no villager in any city in that world that is not kicked in the face by a horse at least five times every yeah. day. Like, they have no awareness that horses go on roads. They just, like, <laughs> walk straight into them and your horse fucking smacks them in the face. <laughs> and it just happens constantly and, like, happens to the AI as well. Mm. They, they are the, the...
2: Horses are the dominant species in the according to Assassin's Creed oranges. Uh But yeah, you, you'll... I'll, I'll watch the horse. and The horse sort of, like isn't allowed to slow down it's like it sort of seems to be under instruction to get the player where the fuck it needs to go as fast as possible as fast as this horse can go uh, and so they'll just like do a right angle at extreme <laughs> speed into a stall and get completely stuck <laughs> just to avoid some uh, horses coming in the opposite direction <laughs> so it's just like cases of horse awkwardness on the road and that's a, that's a large part of why i enjoy it as well uh, I like a lot of the other elements of the game fall a bit flat for me i really dislike the leveling curve i think it's just about 20 percent off like if you leveled up about 20 hmm. percent faster just had to do like a couple of fewer side quests an hour it, mm. it would be more to my to my speed um and you'd be, like i enjoy the main quests they're much better built than the side quests
0: i really wish that the leveling when you're fighting higher level enemies um i'm okay with the fact that i cannot win a fight against them but i wish assassination still worked mm, like uh, yeah, if, totally. you, if you get like I was actually um I did like a window takedown on someone in a camp encampment that was way above my level. Mm. I was like I wasn't gonna take them all on, I was just sneaking around seeing if I could like steal some some money or something and um uh enjoyed being in this extremely high threat environment and like having my you know, my heart in my throat. And I took had just had the perfect situation where I was shimming up and as I came to a window, someone was standing with his back to me and there's God, Assassin's Creed is all about this. This is the moment yeah, that sure. Assassin's Creed yeah. is supposed to shine and uh like leans up and stabs him and then just kind of like goes back down <laughs> the guy's just like mildly annoyed and it's taken off like one percent of his health mm. <laughs> and that's it like assassination just doesn't work on these people because they're too high level and uh that that part feels really wrong mm. yeah i completely agree with that and
2: it's um the game is so much worse if you're fighting against enemies that are one or two levels higher than you then the, the combat system which like isn't amazing for me like becomes mm. out outright infuriating yeah. and just really slow to kill anyone and like it's not terribly hard but you're getting shot from a lot of different angles in a lot of these kind of encampments and it's it's quite frustrating uh, whereas if you if you do it when you're over leveled by one level it feels great it's like a massive power trip but there's still enough challenge from the bosses that hunt you across the world and it just feels like again the, the difficulty is a bit skewed maybe I should just turn the difficulty down but it feels as though the, the level difference is so baked into that game and how it wants to work and what where Assassin's Creed wants to go that I, I can't see that changing for the sequels it seems to just want to force you to grind out certain areas to get a level above so that the next part isn't unfun yeah. which for me isn't an amazing piece of RPG design really other games navigate this far better.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing that worries me about Odyssey a little, is I'm I'm excited that it seems like the Assassin's Creed game where the setting marries up with it being the furthest along in, in terms of being the type of game I might enjoy mm. under that aegis. But... <coughs> I still really worry that there will be too much in it that just makes me go, do you know what? I just (laughs) Just I I, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wait for the Discovery Tour Mm. and take a few photos and then just stop. Yeah. Because yeah, I've I've never I've never found it an engaging experience in terms of the moment to moment what I am doing. Mm. It's yeah. mm.
0: Did you try a Discovery Tour?
1: I did. Um, I think it's, it's the sort of thing where it's beautiful, and I really like it. And I like that you can buy it separately. And I did really enjoy spending a few afternoons, just screenshotting things and, you know, like playing around with, you know, just the world and walking around it. But I think, I do think that without that sense of any kind of interaction, it's, it's a prospect that you'll eventually slide off. Mm. so i I think that the most rewarding way to experience that would be to have enjoyed the 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 game itself and then to you know take a tour round discovery and sort of see the I guess the areas that had meant something to you for whatever reason and yeah. you know spend a bit more time there. So I, th- I assume that would probably be the peak way of experiencing that but i am glad it existed um but yeah so that's but yeah the the moment to moment combat and the way Mm. that it sort of pushes you to play certain ways and doesn't seem to be okay with you not wanting to play that way yeah is a bit it it's it's in the back of my mind as a kind of tempering thing when i Mm. am getting excited about odyssey i would say
2: (laughs) yeah it's a hard game just to wander around and I can't quite put my finger on it. But it's just that it's so busy, but and so much stuff aggroes all the time. It's a, it's more like a kind of Far Cry, mm. whereas in the like The Witcher Three, if you were going into the wilderness and going into certain woods, you'd get attacked sometimes, every so often. But it just felt like it was you could just potter around there, and yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Not
1: every owl wants to kill you.
2: <laughs> yeah, and not every owl's worth something. Like you'd have to kind of. <laughs> It's not worth like, oh, it, my gear is going to get slightly better. I mean, The Witch does this as well to an extent, but it's it's not that kind of cold, hard Ubisoft. Oh, you've got four pelts. Now press a button to make it into, you know, a bag.
1: Okay. Uh, which
2: I still dislike. <laughs> which is what Assassin's Creed does. I
1: feel like you're being overly hushed at owls. Every owl is worth something
2: to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in the kind of psychotic gamer mindset of how can I... Use this to make my being better in this world. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) So I'm trained. Should do some questions from questions.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay, excellent. Okay, so uh, we have our first question from a man who, in this instance, would rather remain nameless. Dear Podcast Humans, I've recently finished a month long self imposed gaming ban. I found myself not only playing games a lot of the time, but also only consuming gaming related media such as podcasts, videos, and articles. I realised that it was taking over my life in a negative way, preventing me from enjoying things I would otherwise have loved because they were not about games. I used this time to read actual books, catch up on TV and films, etc., cutting out all gaming related content. After this, not only did i have four great cnc episodes to catch up on but i now find it much easier to slot gaming into my life as a healthy addition rather than the main event to somehow turn this into an answerable question what do you do to stop games taking over your entire lives does having a career in the industry help or hinder thanks for podding
0: yeah i think it uh helps in the sense that i've never had the problem of games taking up too much of my life (laughs) it's almost (laughs) been the other way around like i often um feel like i feel bad because i haven't played anything in in ages and uh i have to force myself to like especially to play something new like once i have a comfort game that i go Mm -hmm. back to to, i'll play that too much and not anything else and i have to force myself to play other games
1: yeah how about you tom
0: yeah
2: similar experience really especially like when it comes to e3 months and games months and then the mad christmas period on the internet you just end up not having enough time catch up and play and everything and like even as much as i'd like as a um not not as a professional trying to cover the industry but as someone who just loves games and would like to play more of them i just don't seem to have the time seems to have less and less time as time goes on
1: mm. yeah i'm having a bit of a gaming ban at the moment but it's entirely because my pc finally fell over. Up the ghost. And yeah. It's been haunted for a long time, so that <laughs> ghost was well and truly, you know, ready to come out at yeah. this point. But
2: um to airlift it into the sea and all those <laughs> <for> raptors.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um but that means that I'm essentially limited to what I can play on my laptop and since my laptop gets hotter than the sun and starts <laughs> burning my legs um I am very much enjoying a life of evenings involving, you know, pottering about, doing other things, mm. a lot of embroidery, a lot of, <laughs> you know, trying to get the garden under control, you know, the the usual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think the only thing that I've ever been in danger of maybe doing a bit too much of, but everything's relative, is Dota. But that's, I think I've spoken about it on the podcast, it it coincided with, you know, unhealthy, you know, mental health stuff. So just Mm. sort of, you know, relying too much on a game to escape into. Mm. So that was very much just a symptom rather than an actual problem. So, yeah, I yeah maybe it's like you burn out otherwise you know you fight you have a health well you try and have a healthy relationship with gaming otherwise this is not a good industry to be in in terms <laughs> of having anything approaching a work-life balance yeah. as well <laughs> um the uh next is a grudge from via serif uh Dear Crate and Crowbar, I was replaying Dragon Age Inquisition lately and spent a happy hour on its creation—a character creation screen, rather. But as soon as I hit that confirm button, my joy was swiftly replaced by a mounting dread as I remembered that the lighting for said excellent character creator was weirdly green, and I was now <laughs> cursed to watch this color uncoordinated goof for the next two or three hours until I could fix it. In short, I would like to lodge a grudge against all character creator that either one don't give you a good idea of the lighting that will be used for literally the rest of the game <laughs> come on now bioware <laughs> or two don't give you a quick easy way to fix your horrendous mistakes thank you for considering my petition
0: yeah actually uh, i had the exact same thing but i'm intrigued that uh, she says that you had to wait two or three hours to fix it i didn't know you could fix it at all i thought i was doomed completely with that huh. look um so I restarted Dragon Age Origin, uh no sorry Dragon Age Inquisition um like 5 times <laughs> it was, was like oh I didn't know I was wearing lipstick apparently I'm wearing lipstick I didn't mean to I've start again it's glossy in this light it wasn't in the character creator it
1: feels um, so weird that anyone would would make the the area where you create the character yeah. not representative of how it will look in the entire yeah. game and then I remember changing rooms which are the harshest lighting, the worst mirrors, the most awful traumatic experience that does not in any way equate to being at the pub with friends, for example, while wearing said clothes. You know, it's just a disaster. So maybe this is entirely faithful to real life. Who knows?
0: I think it's common in a lot of games because even if they're really, really trying... To get the light, make the lighting sort of the most common kind of lighting or whatever still when you actually get out into the world suddenly it looks different you're seeing it from different angles you're seeing it from different uh my shepherd in mass effect one you know looked great in the character creator and then as the game went on i realised, oh no her lips actually pursued a lot more than i realized <laughs>
2: <laughs> i like uh, eve online's version where you, you're kind of creating a portrait and you get to pose your character and set all the lighting. I think it's a bit different now when you actually can embody that character and walk around certain scenes, but um it always sort of implies that your character carries that lighting with them as though <laughs> in the future people just have like little lamps that <laughs> just show them in the best possible light where, wherever they are.
1: I'd so, like that. It's yeah, basically it's face cute. tune, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> oh wow. Um we have a question from Alex who says, I am playing Stardew co-op beta with my boyfriend and since I've played through roughly one year of game time on a previous save, I'm now fine looking up stuff on the wiki like villager gift preferences and fishing charts. When do you find it okay to look shit up?
0: Yeah, I don't have a lot of restraint on that. It's everything <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I wonder what the answer to this is. I'll yeah. <laughs> just look it up. Actually, in Minecraft, I... Um, uh, I had a policy that I would ask friends but I wouldn't look anything up on the wiki I didn't mm. want it to be just I look at I, I just read a wiki until I know how to play the game I wanted to be a bit more like social and, yeah uh, so I sort of pretended I couldn't find things out except by asking people <laughs>
1: I quite like that approach. Um, I think for me it depends on the game because if it's something where I know that I will just fall down that hole of I will go to this wiki for every single question because that's such an easy thing to fall into once you, I was going to say break the seal but, you know, it's, it's that thing of well, that is where I can go if I ever need an answer. So I guess I'll just do that the whole time. Hmm. Um, The times when I'm super restrained are either when I want to maintain that sense of discovery for some reason, or often if I'm um, writing about something for work, because often... And occasionally I will then go to a wiki, especially if it's something that's been out in um, early access and people have actually sort of started to create that stuff. Mm. Um, But it will be to get to more of the game so that I can talk about it fairly and honestly, but also often noting or you know always noting the fact that the tutorial was falling short in that area for some reason or there was a difficulty spike problem Mm. there um so it's all stuff that is noted but in those instances it can be yeah like there's a there's a trade-off that you make and acknowledge to the reader that you've done so but yeah I think we've talked about that stuff before as well. I wish we—I wish I had a good memory so I could say and <laughs> check out also episodes yeah. this, this, and this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, George asks: Do you have any favourite board games outside Minis slash hobby games covered in Minis Monthly? Are there any video games you'd like to see make the transition, like XCOM, Paradox's games, Doom, The Witcher, etc., have done? I'd love an FTL or bomber crew game. So we say this sitting right next to my board game's shelf. Yeah. So this is useful for <laughs> inspiration, should you need it. <laughs> um, League of Legends makes for a good board game, I would say. Uh, I think we've talked about it before. And Tom, you, you started playing through some of the missions with us. Which
0: yeah, the, the mech thing.
1: Yeah, mechs versus minions. Mm. Um, that
0: feels like... Um, it doesn't feel like the board game of League of Legends, right? It's... No,
1: no, it's definitely not. But it's, yeah, it's it's a good one. Um, but yeah, we've spoken about that before.
0: I really like Time Barons, which is not a conversion of a video game, but it is um, uh, partly by Derek Yu, who's the creator of Spelunky, um, and John Perry. And uh, that's a game where you sort of, uh, you build buildings and uh, put followers on them and stuff uh, in order to... Um, like deal damage and stuff, but you can also tech up through the ages. It's kind of got an Age of Empires thing where there's eras of medieval and modern day and World War II and that kind of stuff. Um, and like uh, Age of Empires or especially like Rise of Nations, you can tech up way ahead of your opponent and be in like futuristic land while they're still in the Middle Ages, which is fun. Sweet.
2: Enjoying um, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective at the mm. moment, uh, which is a really fun co-op game. Uh, so I'm playing through it with a girlfriend, it's a bit stupidly hard and obtuse in some ways. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's kind of, I think if you, if you start trying to beat homes and you just kind of exploit your own pace and try and figure it out, it's a, it's a very good social time.
1: Mm. Yeah. There's um, there's a few things on the shelf that I can see that I love playing and will always sort of go to when people come over and want to play something. Mm. So, um Codenames is really good if you've got enough people. It's a kind of team-based thing where you're trying to direct people to particular cards that you've laid out in from a selection. Um, but you're only allowed to use a number and a single word to direct people towards them. Um, and so that can be an interesting exercise in like figuring out other p it, it can really lead to those great moments of Um, we used to get it a lot in Articulate when I would play that with my sister where Mm. she would say like three words that wouldn't make sense to anybody else but I would know instantly the person (laughs) or the thing that she was getting at. And so I've played it with a fair few people and interestingly I've played it in scenarios where a couple is totally not on the same wavelength for a thing (laughs) but friends are. Mm. And so it's been fascinating to watch who has that very specific um, rapport. Yeah, Mm. um,
2: That's really
1: cool. Yeah. And I also, and Mysterium is the other one that Mm, I will always sort of just trot out as a fun, it's it's like, um, it's a lot like Dixit, if anyone knows that. But yeah, so it's, you know, one of you is a ghost who is trying to communicate (laughs) with uh, mediums who are, you know, putting together a kind of um, a... A murder scenario so it's you are trying to direct each person to a location a person and a weapon hmm. and um but you're only allowed to use these amazingly ornate cards that don't actually have a direct bearing on the the things that you're trying to communicate so yeah just
0: like surreal dream images
1: yeah so you might pick a card for somebody that has a chair and the the room that you're trying to direct them to has a chair but it might also have i don't know a singing fish and they'll be like i think it's the bathroom and you you know <laughs> ghost is desperately trying not to put their head in their hands <laughs> at this point so um that's another one where it's like you thought i meant what and there's an amazing sort of deconstruction afterwards quite often um and i also have like a real weakness for those kinds of games that are quite pleasant but not you know extreme in any way so there's a game called karuba which is essentially about you know each of you has you lay out two pieces um on a board um to represent each of these different journeys like different colors Uh, so you're going from one orange marker to another orange marker and once everyone has done that um, and laid out all of their different ones um you're essentially drawing a card or a number rather that corresponds to a card that all of you will then place on your board and so essentially it becomes about all of you have this individualized challenge of using the same pieces to make a different journey across the board and try to sort of make the most efficient route between your you know your versions of those um opposing pieces i'm explaining it incredibly badly but i quite like that indirect conflict Mm. that you get um so yeah there's quite a few things like that on on the shelf so yeah so i like i like small things that are quite logic based (laughs) (laughs) no one else wants to play (laughs) um uh zed fang says Any predictions for E3 five years from now? Which maybe we should have done last week, uh, but we're doing it this week.
0: So we did this five years ago and tried to predict this E3, and we did a sort of scorecard type thing comparing how well our predictions worked. Um, And I don't know if you guys mentioned this last week, but... um,
1: No. (laughs) uh,
0: I wasn't
1: here for it, I guess.
0: The prediction... We were joking about... Because we reviewed these predictions foolishly before E3 actually happened, and we were laughing at mine, which was that uh, AAA games would involve roguelike elements. <laughs> like, well, that didn't happen. Uh, and then it kind of did it at E3. <laughs> Prey introduced a roguelike mode. Um, uh, so I'm feeling sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, as a... I mean, pr- supposedly, uh, you know, immersive sims are, are struggling, and um, uh, I remember hearing that Prey didn't do what they hoped it would. And so this could be phrased as one game in desperation is trying a completely <laughs> mad thing that, that may not work uh, but I choose to see it as an industry trend that's going to sweep <laughs> that's well, not actually my prediction for five years time I was going
1: to say riding high on your trend <laughs> predictions from five years ago have you got any other pearls of wisdom people might want to invest in before uh, before they get big my predictions
0: will not happen at all for five years then right at the end they'll partially happen to one game <laughs> um
1: but isn't that the sort of thing that gets you the biggest dividend on like a you know a bet (laughs) right
0: (laughs) yeah maybe um there's a there's a load of stuff you could say that would almost certainly be true but isn't interesting which is like the big franchises will continue to Mm. (laughs) do iterations that try and make them bigger but i i really this e3 you know they were saying like fallout 76 is four times the size of fallout four and that was just who cares why would I need it to be bigger that was not a complaint anyone had with Fallout 4 I'm pretty sure (laughs) Um, and I think and hope that we'll see more games kind of going inwards rather than outwards like rather than just trying to make a much bigger thing with even more stuff in it and this maximalist approach to game design I think uh, hopefully the diminishing returns for that are going to become more and more obvious Mm. and uh, I would like us to see just more uh, weird um, just ideas like the whole battle royale thing is such a all those elements already existed we already had literally like a last man standing mode in most deathmatch games in the 90s mm. um, or the early 2000s and uh, but it didn't take off because it was just missing a couple of ingredients that make it really click um, and probably even just the the culture and the you know streaming and stuff did it wasn't around back then and uh, maybe that's an element in it as well mm. and i feel like there's going to be more stuff like that i mean the next uh pub or fortnite um phenomenon type thing is probably just going to involve elements we already have and we just haven't thought of combining them in this particular way and someone's going to do it and it's there's it a good tweet i can't remember who it was by so i won't try and attribute it i just said i wouldn't try and attribute it so i won't <laughs> almost did uh Um, Somebody saying after E3, like, oh, it's cool to see all these massive games and it'll be really interesting to see what broken mess completely outsells all of them in the next (laughs) few years, (laughs) which
2: is probably quite accurate. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like they're going to take another crack at streaming technology and I predict that maybe the consoles will try and launch Netflix-style streaming services and they'll suck Uh, Mm. because I don't think the internet infrastructure will have gotten better in our country, for example, in Mm. five years' time. And if uh, a lot of companies... And I've seen a lot of different companies try this over and over again and PlayStation now exists and no one really cares about it. So the mm-hmm. idea that it would take on like a proper, truly mainstream uh, adoption in just five years seems out of the question to me. But um, that could be a massive, massively wrong thing I've just said. <laughs> we'll see.
1: With regard to um, you, Tom Francis, saying about the the size of games being a bit who cares at this point? and I I think it's... It, it hasn't reached it yet, but there will come a point, I think, where, you know, visual fidelity just isn't as in, you know, I mean, it'll always be interesting to someone, but it's already not interesting to me. So mm. um, and because those leaps and bounds in graphics have sort of slowed to sort of teeters and you know stumbles um and so i'm wondering whether the emphasis will fall back onto or not back onto but fall onto um how well games or engines or whatever um can uh render detail down to quite a a low level of granularity so you know like you you instead of walking into a room and just having it essentially look right from there, maybe you could look closer and see like every individual chip on something, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe that will be, mm-hmm. I, I can't see really what purpose it would be apart from that sense of, and I hate using the word, but immersion, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I think
2: one of the thing, one of the biggest leaps we've seen in the last few years that gets the least talked about is performance capture. Um, mm. and thinking about Hellblade and thinking about Ellie in The Last of Us Part 2 trailer at E3, um, I think that's one of the things that's going to get more and more focused and we're going to start to see more nuance in character performances being captured in game engines. And I think by the time, in five years' time, we might actually be talking seriously, more seriously about people winning Oscars for gaming performances and for mm. gaming performances mm. being more le- a legitimate kind of art form or something, and that we might actually start feeling... Close connections with game characters because it's able to capture more of the humanity of the actor behind the,
0: the performance yeah. itself. I think there is already a, a BAFTA for performance in a video game, mm. um, and yeah, that's cool.
1: What it about tends to be uh, about voice acting, isn't it? It's not a kind of yeah. It's kind yeah. of
2: haven't seen at the moment, right? Like you'll see Andy Circus just kind of getting nods here and there, and you'll see people being like. Um, yeah right voice capture but a lot of those people are mocapping and they're doing like physical performances yeah. that aren't really seen as being part of the actual i think especially uh, naughty dog i think all of their mocap is done by the actor who's voicing the line yeah for sure and you can really um, tell you can really tell yeah and that's just gonna get better
0: i think but speaking yeah. of actually that and and your detail thing pip um mm. uh, i think both these things are going to be uh are, are big concerns for vr developers and i was watching a video today uh that tyler did for pc gamer of a game called defector i think Hmm. um where you're a spy and uh you're on board a plane and he's just on board a plane with some like some i don't know secret agents doing some secret agency stuff and of course he immediately like picks up a cup of coffee and throws it at somebody and uh just how fast it utterly breaks down into the game being totally unable to react to what he's done yeah. is is kind of staggering and it just made me realize like you know this is this is just a room before he gets into the the, there's a dialogue thing and there's an action sequence and there's puzzles and so on and stuff but before he even gets there just a room with a person in it <laughs> is an unsolvable problem in video games I don't think in five years time we'll be anywhere near being able to have a person in a room and letting you do whatever you want with your hands and have it actually <laughs> react to it because even like you can't even say anything in VR it's mm. just you just move you look and you move your hands and already it's just oh my god how do we deal with all the possibilities <laughs> from what a person can do and have, having anyone react to that in a realistic way or a convincing way or even an intro way.
1: I wonder and- whether it learned up being that thing where I can't remember what it was. I think there was that thing that was um purportedly a robot who could play chess but it was just a man who was very good at chess playing (laughs) as a robot right um to you know as a curio that would make money or whatever and i do wonder whether we will start just having vr games where it's just a bunch of people on the other side of the world just actually interacting because like we can't make it work we can't make it work it's just yeah just
2: vr sleep is death (laughs)
1: so what point do you think that both of you think that we will be at in the vr is it happening is it not happening (laughs) cycle Mm. (laughs) it's a good question
0: because it isn't happening right now and it's Mm. funny because in our previous e3 predictions we didn't predict anything about it because it hadn't even started to happen at that point it hadn't even dawned um and then you know when it did dawn we were all like oh in the next few years it's gonna be huge and then it wasn't Mm. um and in fact um budget cuts came out this week which is the you know the best vr thing i've played um i played a demo of it years ago as a lot of people did and it was like the big hope for vr kind of thing it's like this is the one thing that really is a legitimately huge um, awesome game and I didn't hear a single person mention it. Yeah. I found out about it just from Steam's announcement feed. And
1: um, I only knew about it when you mentioned it about yeah. two hours ago.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, I have no uh, information about whether it's any good. I'm sure it's great, but the people are not... There's no buzz about VR in my circles at all. Yeah. Um, I, on the other hand, the you know, the reason it hasn't caught on is because it's not very good yet. <laughs> like, mm. I mean, the... You know, the sense of presence or whatever is there, but the hassle of getting into it and out of it is such a huge thing and the expense is so huge. Both those things will get better. I don't think in five years it's going to be. Hmm. Like for me, I know they're making it smaller, they're making it lighter, they're making it higher resolution, they're making it more responsive, all this stuff. But And there is a wireless version, but it's like the latency is apparently not good enough. Um, Hmm. I think it needs to be more than just wireless... I think it's got to be, I don't know, room scale is always going to be a hassle because you have to clear your room at the very least. You've got to get all your shit out of your room. It
1: can't just be American size room scale or (laughs) specifically Californian size room scale. It has to be, I live in London, oh God, room (laughs) scale.
0: Yeah. Um, I think my interest in it is entirely dependent on it being like almost entirely hassle-free, like putting it on, it can't even be goggles it has to be like putting on a hat it has to be like that simple um and yeah clearing out my whole room for something it means i mean i the thing i used to say was like oh i'm not interested in all these little interesting curios in in vr because it's too much hassle to get in and out of vr but when the big things come along like budget cuts obviously i'll clear my whole room and i'll do the setup and i'll i'll mainline it and i'll get through it and then i'll just put it away again but so far even that has not happened (laughs) (laughs) so that's interesting
1: i think i I think that it will continue to be an interesting tool set that just sort of plods along almost independently of games doing its own thing with regards to specific bits of research or projects that people are working on. I think for me it's more about whether it also is a thing that people have a very low-key but ongoing relationship with or whether this generation of VR... um, console stuff peripherals hardware whatever ends up going the way of the rock band plastic right that it's mm-hmm. all just down at various you know um second hand stores or whatever yeah. at this point
0: i think i mean psvr is probably the closest thing we have right now to what the future will look like where it's just kind of low investment, low costs um lightweight not as good quality as the others but obviously the quality will improve um and so there'll probably be a console that, had, that just comes with a VR thing as part of it, and um, is decent. But uh, like the interaction part is the if it's not room scale, both room scale and and seated have mm-hmm. the same issue where of how do you move around the game world without getting motion sick? And uh, I haven't seen any good solutions to that yet. Like budget cuts has sort of you throw something and then you teleport yeah. to it and you see a portal to it. And it works-ish, but it's a weird mechanic. You can't really use it anywhere else. <laughs> it was
1: the best solution, but it was still a bit odd. But uh, yeah. So I think where I'm at with all of this stuff is that if I was making a prediction, it would be that AR would emerge as the, the clear front runner in hmm. this hmm. scenario because, you know, you've got things like Pokemon Go and Google Glass and whatever else. Um, and uh, obviously... It, to varying degrees, that has taken off not so much glass, but, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but I, I do think that people want to augment the world that they can currently see. Mm. It's that thing of, you know, you're on your phone a lot, but you you do still have a vague awareness of what's going on around you. So you can kind of interact, but also be distracted at the same time. Mm. And I think that seems to be the direction that most people are happy um leaning in or existing within, because it it, it's not that same sense of, oh, I have to completely switch off from all of these other things in order to you know, VR in a way is actually quite a jealous or quite a possessive (laughs) form of (laughs) entertainment and it, it absolutely precludes you from doing anything on a second screen or tabbing out or, you know, checking on other stuff. And I think that AR actually makes that a possibility mm. and is you know so I think as long as people figure out ways to continue gamifying that I think that might well end up being the trend rather than and VR will just sort of continue to have this weird 10 year cycle of <laughs> is it him is it not oh mm. who knows <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: the old 6 will not be out
3: <laughs> Starfield might be out <laughs> Not.
1: do you think they'll have made like an mmo another mmo or like <laughs> oh, nice. a, a maybe yeah four battle royales later yeah. it's like a week <laughs>
2: it's 10 times the size of whatever you can imagine
1: do you think they'll have at least committed to a location by then though
2: <laughs> yes that will have trickled out in an earnings call or something
1: <laughs>
3: nice
1: <laughs> um our last thing uh is uh is a grudge, which I think is... Fine, good. Yeah. We'll assess it. So, Mike T, Your Majesty, I could live with I could live with <laughs> being called that forever. Yeah. Um, for your consideration for entry into the book of grudges in BattleTech, after the completion of some missions, my dropship pilot is in such a hurry to retrieve us from the planet's surface, she will land right on top of us, destroying <laughs> my carefully built up battle mechs and injuring my mech warriors <laughs> for months. Instead of waiting one turn or moving the landing zone a few hexagons to the left i end up with a giant repair bill and months of downtime your humble servant mike t yeah i think that's the dropship pilot's fault and (laughs) that can definitely go in in. unless you two have have a case to the contrary no
0: I, i agree with it i'd like to extend it to actually um Uh, people who extract you from the mission without giving you a chance to go around and pick up all the shit that you Uh, left behind Uh, like Far Cry 5 does this when you conquer an outpost like you shot all your arrows into people and then it just ends the mission Mm -hmm. and friendly people move in all the bodies are gone I can't go around and pick up my arrows
1: I think it's basically anything that doesn't give you a warning that stuff might suddenly be taken away from you and you won't have a chance to mop up before you know before you are swept on to the next thing
0: yeah, and Cryptarch does this as well, like taking out the core, story-wise shuts down all the enemies, mm-hmm. but you don't get the chance to go around and pick up all the tech stuff you could have got on the way in, it just pulls you out of the mission and it's over.
2: Yeah, it yeah. games like Destiny just, um, they bank it for you, so if you miss a kind of oh, yeah. an end or something, you, you, there's a postmaster back at base, and I don't care how you have to fudge the plots to make <laughs> that happen, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's much better that you just give me the thing. I yeah. End.
1: Yeah. So I would say to Mike, that is definitely in the Book of Grudges, but mm. I'm also going to leave like a two or three page gap after it <laughs> yeah. so that we can add in specific other instances of this exact same things that devs need to get on immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I believe that is all the questions that we have time for. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm.
0: You can send us a question at questions at CreightonCrowbar.com and you can follow Crate and Crowbar at Crate and Crowbar on Twitter. Um, there's a YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Great Crowbar. <laughs> um, uh, we are supported by our lovely patrons on Patreon.com/slash Great and Crowbar, where you can give us a dollar per episode or something. Um, what other things do we do at the end?
1: Uh, is it? Did you do the YouTube? Yep. Yep. Nice. <laughs> I don't think there's anything I think else. Uh, well,
0: uh, there's the Discord, and that's linked to on our website, which is creatingquiverbar.com.
1: Nice, excellent. In that case, it's just individual social medias, mm-hmm. and I'm off social media currently, so <laughs> that's quite quick on my Yay. part. I don't have this to spell anything. But... <laughs> well,
0: twenty percent of the podcast length, I'm not having to spell your name. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Uh, I am at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T on Twitter. I'm Tom Francis, by the way. (laughs) Uh, I'm
2: Tom Senior. I'm at PCT Ludo and I might be tweeting about the World Cup for a bit. So please excuse me (laughs)
1: for the next week or so. (laughs) Nice. Did you enter the work sweepstake?
2: No. I've got one going with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's dad though and it's going quite well.
1: (laughs) Ah, because I drew a country name out of a bag having paid two pounds. And I think I told you this. I got England. Yes. Might as well have thrown that two quid in the Bad sea. Luck, Pip. Bad <laughs> luck.
2: This is why you don't gamble.
1: Apparently, we've got worse since the last time I watched I'm the World Cup. So. This is so upsetting.
2: But I'm rooting for us all the same.
1: Oh, anyway, that's about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, so not nice so nice everybody. everybody.